Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'm Chance Storland, and this is the Spurs Insider, our weekly NBA podcast from ExpressNews.com. And joined now by San Antonio Express News sports writer Jeff McDonald for the final episode of the season. How you doing, Jeff? I'm good. Tired, but good. Yeah, I assume you are. Um, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the you know, the players, they always want to continue on, but I guess it probably is a bit of a relief that they could take, you know, kind of a bit of a break. Obviously, you have training and things like that, but you forget the reporters as well. And and we'll be taking a break until the next season. So this will be our last episode for now. We'll come back for uh, the 2019-2020 uh, season later on down the road. But wrapping up what happened, uh, real upfront about it, Jeff, do you call this a success, a failure, or, or something else? It's a good question. You know, I, I think um, obviously the Spurs lost in the first round of the playoffs. They went seven games uh, against Denver, the number two seed in the West. Obviously, they had their chances to win that series and to continue to be playing at this point. But when you, you when you step back and take like the uh, bird's eye view of the of the whole season, I mean, you go back to the summertime when they were forced to trade Kawhi Leonard because he didn't want to be here anymore. Um, you know, you trade a top five player in the NBA, you're going to take a step back. It's hard to rebuild from that immediately. And they got a, a pretty good player in DeMar DeRozan out of that deal and, and Jakob Pertl. Um, But I think going into the season, um, uh, well, and then and continuing with this, the storyline, you, you lose Kawhi Leonard to the, in the trade, but then the, the uh, like the third preseason game before the season even begins, you lose your starting point guard, DeJounte Murray to a season ending knee injury. And then, and so, you know, none, nothing, nothing the Spurs planned. Uh, this wasn't even plan B, this, this roster, this was a plan C plan D something like that. Um, and so I think going into the season, um, I, I, I don't know what the expectations were. I know in, inside the Spurs uh, locker room, they, they were hopeful, but outside the Spurs locker room, if you looked at all the projections and the models and this little, the, the statistical, models not many you know the spur a lot of people were predicting the spurs to miss to miss the playoffs um really for the first time since 1996 so to get there with 48 wins i think in that in that sense it's somewhat of a success i know in san antonio we're used to uh you know going further in the playoffs and just getting to the playoffs is is not enough um but but given what this team had to overcome and the adversity the adversity this team had really to start the year and really going back all the way to last July, um, you know, you could look at it as as this team overachieved a little bit. Um, I think even a, an even better way to look at it is it's it's a building block. It's a transitional year. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you're not going to recover from the Kawhi Leonard, Leonard trade uh, in the months after you cover uh, you trade Kawhi Leonard. You're going. It's going to take uh, a couple seasons to build this thing back to to where people like it. So I think. Um, this offseason and even I know people hate to hear it, but even off seasons to come are going to be sort of digging out from the Kawhi Leonard trade. So I think you really 
can't judge the season on its own merit. You look at it as does does it point you in the right direction? And I I think it does. I mean, we'll have to see how the out, the, the off season comes. Couple thoughts that I want to get to before we move on. Obviously, a lot of things to kind of cover in this uh, end all episode for this season. But uh, you know, they beat the Vegas odds. The Vegas odds when we talked about those when those came out, those were low. Um, I think a lot of people were put off by that. So I, th- I believe they beat the Vegas odds. And then Jakob Pertl, you mentioned him. I'm glad you did. Um, kind of the the lesser known quantity even now when you talk about that trade because all the you know all the hype and everything was with Demar Derozan the name in that trade. Um, and then of course you know not only Kawhi Leonard went to uh, the Raptors, so you know other names in there. But th- against the Nuggets, there was some talk of dirty player Jakob Pertl, and you know look at the film. I, I want to get your comments on that maybe before we move on quickly. I mean, I think it was all a little silly. I think it was a, a lot of it was playoff basketball, and it kind of struck me as funny that somehow Jakob Pertl gets uh, like cast as this hatchet man in that series when that's never really been his reputation. I mean, he's, he's known as a good screen setter, which is what the nuggets were complaining about his screens. And as Greg Popovich said during that series, like 90% of the screens set in the NBA are illegal in some way. Like you get away with what you can get away with. Uh, you know, you, you move, you bump, um, you set your feet a little wider than it's technically supposed to be allowed. And if the refs see it and they call a foul, it's a foul. And if they don't, they don't. I don't think at any point, like there's a difference between setting screens that are borderline illegal, which pretty much everyone does, and being a dirty player, like trying to injure people. And that's not Yaka Pirtle at all. Like that's that's almost crazy talk. He has he's not like a Jaja Pachulia who has that reputation of uh intentionally trying to injure people while he's on the floor. If if it's more along the lines is his job is to screen this guy and he's a big guy. And if that guy runs into them in a, in a, in a, uh, in the wrong fashion and gets hurt, then so be it. But um, I, I think it was kind of lost in the shuffle. I mean, the nuggets, it's fair to complain if you think those are illegal and should be called fouls, which is what the nuggets were doing. I don't think anybody on the nuggets said Jakob Pertl is dirty. That's kind of how it got translated out in the fan universe. Um, if you think those are fouls and you want to, petition the officials to take a closer look. I suppose that's fair. Um, but Jakob Pertl is not trying to hurt anybody. I mean, it's almost laughable to think that, and he's not a dirty player. So that's, those are my thoughts on that. That's the word there. Let's uh, get back to our main topic here. Uh, looking ahead to the off season, as I said, you know, you hate to end shorter than your end, your goal, obviously. And for the Spurs for so long, that would have been a championship, but you know, it's the off season now. And, a bit of a relaxed feel can kind of take over, uh, but you got to think about what's coming up next. So Jeff, you know, who do you think's likely to stay or, or go or, or, you know, there were some changes this season that weren't even tied into DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertle. Yeah, they had eight new players coming into the season. And if, if you talk to the coaches, that's, uh, you know, part of the reason they, they sort of started slowly and had, had to build almost from scratch. The Spurs for so long were the, Tim, Tony, and Manu Spurs that showed up at training camp pretty much with, uh, you know, 75% of the playbook already already intact, knew what they were doing, um, kind of had to start over this year with so many new faces and and not a lot of corporate knowledge around. And I think when you're looking ahead to the offseason, I think that's that struggle will definitely kind of inform what happens. I know a lot of Spurs fans probably, or at least some Spurs fans probably don't want to hear it, but I think 
if I'm predicting, I think the, the, the roster next season is going to look awfully uh, similar to this year's roster. I think there might be some minor tweaks here and there, but by and large, I think they want to keep the core of this, um, this team together because they want to go into a season not starting from scratch, having everybody on the same page. And so I, I, I think that's going to be a priority um, going forward. And that said, there aren't a lot of prominent free agents um, on the roster. The one guy who played a key role this year, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent this summer is Rudy Gay. And I think both sides sort of had an, have an interest in hooking up again and, and bringing him back. I mean, I'm sure Rudy will look around and see if, if anybody else uh, offers him a better deal or a better situation. Um, and the Spurs will look at what they can offer him. But I, I think at the end of the day, we're going to find uh, for both sides that kind of, uh, you know, re-upping the marriage is probably a smart deal. I don't know that nobody's going to be able to, just because of the way the NBA salary salary rules work, there aren't a whole lot of teams that are going to be able to give Rudy Gay uh, a better deal than the Spurs can. And because of how this, the NBA salary rules work, um, the Spurs won't really be able to replace Rudy Gay's spot at that salary um, if he were to leave. And and the weird thing, it's hard to explain to people. It's such a, the NBA salary cap can be so arcane in some spots. But if they were to pay Rudy Gay and stay over the salary cap, they will actually have more money with which to chase outside free agents than if they let him go and were just maybe two or three or four million dollars under the salary cap. It doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. Um, you know, you have more money if you're over the salary cap, but in this in this particular instance, um, they probably would. So I think it just makes more sense. And Rudy Rudy had a, had a nice season for them, had a really good season for them. He was up and down in the playoffs, but um, he was one of the few guys that was really, really balling out in game seven. So, I, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense to, to try to bring him back at, at a reasonable rate. So that's on the player end of things. Obviously, while the big three no longer there in San Antonio, so you don't, you're not going to see these, you know, the same players you've been seeing for so long coming back. Although they, they have kept their uh, playoff streak alive, despite that fact, they, they have Greg Popovich, who's kind of like uh, number four person in that situation. He appears to be set for another go around. Um, nothing really confirmed yet. Looks like maybe another three years. Of course, he's also tied into Team USA. That's right. Yeah, uh, and you know he's sort of this—he's sort of the remaining face of the Spurs franchise at this point. The guy that kind of links all the, the championships together. And uh, you know, I, I think it's not really super surprising news that he's coming back. I mean, he was going to be able to come back for as long as long as he wanted to and wants to. And the Spurs ownership seems. Um, fine with him sort of taking the rest of his career on a year-to-year basis. I mean, I, I guess there was some question in some people's mind because his contract was up this year and, uh, you know, he's 70 years old. And and I didn't realize this, but only three other coaches in NBA history have coached past their uh, 70th birthday. It's sort of rare to have a coach at Pop's age still going strong. So I think that's where sort of some of the, is he going to stay, come back? Is he not going to go come back? Obviously the team USA thing is another obligation that you were thinking, well, possibly he just does that full time. But um, talking to a lot of like a couple of Spurs staffers after game seven, um, nobody really thought he was going to walk away. And that seems to be the case. I mean, he's, he's basically to, 
to the finish line on, on a, another contract that will go for three years. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be here for three years. Like I mentioned earlier, um, they're going to let him take it on a year, year to year basis. If after one year of the three year deal, he decides, eh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much done. Then he, he can walk away at that point. Um, if after the three years, he still decides uh, he's basically never going to retire, he could sign another deal for 20 years. Who knows? Um, but uh, and then you mentioned the Team USA stuff, or we both did. And yeah, that that kicks up into high gear this summer, really. I mean, he's technically been the coach uh, for the last two years, but through all the, the qualifying stuff, they use um, it's kind of a weird thing. The, the uh, like the, uh, the the USA basketball, the Team USA team to qualify for the World Championships, which are this summer, they had to win some qualifying tournaments last summer throughout this season, and they don't use NBA players. They use G leaguers and just whoever they can find. And, and Pop, of course, isn't coaching that. He's coaching uh, the Spurs at that point. So Jeff Van Gundy took over. So it is sort of this weird situation where Pop's the head of the program and the guys that are going to go to the World Championships and to the Olympics in 2020. You know, you're, uh, you know, they haven't confirmed them, but they're your LeBron James types, your NBA stars. They don't get to go to that unless these these G leaguers and Jeff Van Gundy win these qualifying rounds that they've already won. But it's just an interesting situation that it's all in somebody else's hands. But now, now Pop is really going to be hands-on this summer because they're going to China for the World Championships. Um, and, you know, there's training camps to hold and, and uh, like, scrimmages. And they're going to be in Australia before they go to China. And um, so it's going to be a busy, busy summer for Pop. It, it, it really is. And it's... Um, Going to be interesting to see how he balances all that stuff. I mean, people have done it before. Coach K was the coach before Pop, and he had to run a whole program at Duke while he uh, ran Team USA, and it didn't seem to take away from either side of the uh, of the of the ledger there. So, it's 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 going to be a, a pop heavy summer. I think. I think we're going to hear a lot from him and about him and uh, about his team. That's great. Wow. It's going to be a pop heavy summer. That's a bumper sticker. That that's a shirt in San Antonio. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to give you a big chunk of time here at the end for final thoughts. Um, probably a few things we've already discussed might pop up during that time, but the last of my questions looking to the, to the near future, the backcourt is going to be log jammed next year. You got the return of DeJounte Murray already mentioned him a bit. Uh, basically a more seasoned Lonnie Walker in his second year from the G league um, who also uh, talk about injuries ha- had an injury. So two guys there. Um, you also have the really, really improved player, Derek white. So you had this problem too many guards. Maybe you'd call that like a good problem to have, but what do the Spurs do when they have that problem? I mean, you know, I, I, I mentioned earlier where they want to keep the core of the team together. And that seems to be the, guiding uh, ethos for this offseason, but I also think they almost have to just look around and see what they could get trade-wise for for one of these guards or two of these guards because it's, it's not just the guys you mentioned, but it's Brent Forbes and it's Patty Mills and it's Marco Bellinelli. I mean, you had kind of had your guard rotation this year, and then you're, go- you're already kind of going to add two guys to it that you mentioned. I mean, Murray is going to come back and be the starting point guard. What do you do with Derek White? He might play off the ball. Okay. Um, what do you do with DeMar DeRozan? Um, I would, I, I think probably Derek White, just based on his potential and his, his, um, contract situation, he's, you know, nobody's untradeable, but he's probably the last guy you really look at. I, I you know, probably don't trade Murray coming off the injury. 
Um, probably, but I, you know, I would look at everybody else. I would even look around and see what can you get for DeRozan. I wouldn't run DeRozan. I wouldn't trade DeRozan because you think he's a bad player or you don't want him. But I would look. You got to. I feel like you got to trade someone to to, to um, clear up that logjam. I would look around and see if you could get something from him that really helps you, a 3 and D guy. Man, or a, poor DeMar DeRozan didn't want to leave Toronto, and, and now you're talking about trading him again. Yeah, and maybe you look around, and yeah, that, those deals don't really do it for me, so we're going to keep DeMar, and I would be fine running it back with him. I would look at Brent Forbes. What can you get from him? Can you move up in the draft? You have uh, you know, two first-round draft picks and Brent Forbes. If you package that together and there's a guy sitting there like at 10 or 11 that you really, really like in the draft, can you package all that together and move up? I would look at I would look at something like that. I, if you can move Patty Mills, I know everybody loves him and he's kind of the big culture guy, but I, I, I'm not saying I would go out and trade everybody, but I would, wouldn't take – I would look at all options is what I'm saying because I feel like uh, you just you got a lot of guards to to give minutes to, and if you can trade from a place where you have sort of a a preponderance of depth and fill in a need that that you you know you a place where you have a hole, um, you know they don't really have a backup small forward at all. If you can, you know they're playing DeRozan at small forward all year, that's not really his his spot. He's really a he's really a shooting guard. If you can find someone to fill a need and use kind of some of your depth of guard to do that, I think you would be almost be almost a dereliction of duty not to at least look at it, not to at least investigate it. And maybe they look around and nothing makes sense and they come back with, with the with the same group and, and that's okay too. But I, I think it is a, a season where you at least got to be open to the possibilities. Wrapping things up here, Jeff. Um, final thoughts, maybe a little food for thought with uh, this time that I'm going to give you. Uh, I think it's fair to say some people, you know, would say they're disappointed with what happened. Uh, I think it's also fair to say this was a step in the right direction from last season. They, they lasted longer in the playoffs than they did (laughs) the year previous. So there's that at least Um, you already mentioned, this was kind of like the C squad, all the, all the things that crept in, especially early on in the season, you know, the defense was hit or miss a lot of the time. You didn't even know what to expect. Um, can, can you say that another coach might not have been able to put together what Greg Popovich did here? Um, is this maybe something where you look to Greg Popovich really as the, the player of the team for the, for the season? Is this something where he really shined or am I maybe going a little too forward in that? No, I think you're right. I think one thing that's, that's, um, often, often true about Greg Popovich teams, and especially in the regular season, is they always seem to outperform expectations. And I think that's something you saw this year. They're, 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 no matter what happens, they're going to be well-prepared. Um, they're going to have a plan. They're going to be disciplined. He's not going to let um, things slip. Um, he's going to keep harping on things. Um, he's going to adjust the team um, to, to the strengths of the players and not just and not try to adjust the players to what what he would rather do um, and I think all those things are helpful in getting you through a regular season uh, a little better off than you would have been otherwise I there there I feel comfortable kind of agreeing with what you said earlier there are a lot of coaches um, that don't make the playoffs with the squad and there were a couple times this year where you look like it looked like the Spurs were not going to make the playoffs with this squad. I mean, they, they um, had a span in December, uh, 
in the span of a week, they lost three games by 30 points. And that's not really what a playoff team looks like. And there was the rodeo trip where they were one and seven and you're, they're coming out of that, like barely in eighth place. And you're thinking, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if they'll get it together. And a lot of credit uh, for getting it together and keeping the thing from just completely unraveling and capsizing has to go um, to Greg Popovich. So, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say this is the greatest coaching job he's ever done, but it's it's on the list because on paper, um, the way this team was put together kind of on the fly, like you don't blame them for putting the team together this way. They were kind of forced. This wasn't, as we mentioned earlier, this wasn't the plan. They're kind of just sort of having to make do with the pieces on hand. Uh, and I think in that sense, they made, made pretty good hay with what they had to work with. And a big thank you to San Antonio Express News sports writers, Jeff McDonald, Tom Orsborne, and Mike Finger for joining me for this season of the Spurs Insider Podcast, our weekly NBA show from ExpressNews.com. For the San Antonio Express News, I'm Chance Dorland.